Why would Seabus Super? Because I'm a builder and they take care of me. Well, I had an accident on the work site and they helped me out, no worries. Yeah, they helped me out real fast. Mate, they just get me. Because they are for all of us. Seabus, for all of us. To consider if Seabus is right for you, visit seabussuper.com.au for a copy of the PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Plenty of cricket on the show, as you would expect today. We're getting ready for Pakistan's tour of England. We'll be talking to Zainab Abbas, Pakistani journalist and television presenter, in the second half of the show about that tour coming up. The Irish have been in England playing one-day games. County cricket is back. The Australian tour looks to be on. Hasn't been officially confirmed, but it's very close to getting over the line. Uh, More exits from the staff ranks at Cricket Australia. The women's IPL is happening. It's all it's all happening. Um, and, Adam, the, the, the thing that soothed your soul this week has been the, the rhythm is back, the rhythm of summer. The, the county cricket is back with even a few people in the grounds in some places to watch. Hello, Jeff. Well, unfortunately, there was no one in the grounds because of the, uh, the last-minute change the government had to make on Friday. They eased restrictions last month, so the start of July. No, I meant to ease mm. it again at the start of August as part of this trial where some county fans were able to, to have gone into Edgbaston and the Oval, but unfortunately that wasn't possible. But it didn't mean, as you say, the rhythm of it was, it was quite lovely, sort of checking in on the scorecards through the course of Saturday. I was uh, at Southampton covering the Ireland-England one-day international, but sort of my colleagues around me who obviously cover county cricket and the international game, trawling through scorecards and enjoying the clips on the various streams that the counties are putting together. It may have been, I don't know, what are we, four months after the season was meant to start, but it did kind of have that first day of school feeling, which is kind of cool, even if there was only a handful of people in the grounds to watch it with uh, the broadcasters and the players and the officials and whatever else. So, yeah, as you said, there's a lot going on on, on, in the cricket world, as you'd expect on a cricket podcast, but it does feel like in the last few weeks we've just got to that stage where even though the virus... Uh, continues to let rip around different parts of the cricket world, including you know our hometown of Melbourne. The, the game itself has found a way to survive in these circumstances and after the West Indies Tour of England, we know that it actually can work behind closed doors in that biosecure environment. So we can crack on with some confidence, which is, you know, in the circumstances, a pretty good outcome. Cyrus the virus. <laughs> was, that, was that Con Air? I think it was. I Nicholas think it Cage was, yes. Yes, Steve Buscemi, uh, a lot going on there. Every time Steve Buscemi pops up in something, it's just like he's just Steve Buscemi. Like I don't know. I, I was watching Sopranos, and suddenly he was in The Sopranos, and I was like, "Why is Steve Buscemi in The Sopranos? He's definitely not this character who they're saying that he is. He's just Steve Buscemi." Anyway, Australia will probably go because the biosecure yep. thing is working. They're waiting on, I think, confirmation from the Australian government that they're allowed to leave. But it's been leaked to, to the mail anyway. Paul Newman had that story. So six games in about 13 days is the likely outcome with three T20s and then three one-dayers split between Southampton and Old Trafford. Um, pretty similar to what we've seen with everybody else this season. Just get them in and get them out. Yeah, it's it's clever how they've done it. So they've shoehorned it in between uh, well, the end of the Pakistan series. Australia will immediately follow. So three T20s at Southampton, three one-dayers at Old Trafford between the 4th of September and the 16th of September. The one question for mine is that now that we know the IPL starting on, I think, the 19th of September, how will they handle that? If they need to quarantine in the UAE, I, I mean, that will mean the Australian players and indeed the England players who are IPL representatives won't get to play in the first couple of weeks of the tournament. I wonder whether the UAE will give them an exemption or something like that. Maybe that's been built into the plan. I could not imagine a situation in which <laughs> the UAE, the, the proud, upstanding government of the UAE and and, and the BCCI... Here, we, we may need in, to deal with the UAE again at some stage in with stuff that we do. BCCI <laughs> in control of the X billion dollars that they're going to make from the Vivo IPL. I cannot imagine a situation in which they would um, would fail to come to an accommodation about getting players from the biosecure bubble in India. They'll charter them in if they have to, whatever has to be done, uh, and then they'll squeeze right in nicely timed. Well, it will. It, it'll squeeze right in. I mean, if they finish on the 16th and they're starting some games on the 19th, it might be that like they get one sleep, you know, they might kip on a plane for one night and they're turning out <laughs> in the IPL, which... 
isn't in, ideal. In the sky I mean, bed, we, well, we've the, seen the in, flatbed that, that Nicole yeah. Kidman was advertising so alluringly for whatever airline it was. Well, I expect what they'll do is, wouldn't the logical thing to do just to charter a flight from, uh, for all the, I mean, there'll be about, what, half a dozen of the Australian squad in the IPL and yeah. at least that many from England. I think there was eight in the IPL last year from, from the England ranks, so or maybe the year before. Mm. Um, but still, there'll, there'll be a decent amount. There might be enough to justify just getting one plane, heaps of space. Don't have to worry about someone sitting next to you or putting the armrest up and trying to get an extra mm-hmm. bit of foot room. For them, they should be able, able to have a good little sleep on there. But yeah, yeah so... We know that Southampton works a treat. I've been in there um, twice this week. I'm going again tomorrow for the final one day. Uh, that is clockwork, really. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of checks. Don't get me wrong. Um, going into that environment, there is no way in the world one could be crook and enter. You, mm-hmm. you go through a couple of different uh, temperature screenings. Of course, there's COVID tests along the way as well. So there's, you know, once you're actually in there, you feel pretty comfortable that everyone around you is healthy as well. Uh, but yeah, the Australian team will be uh, in that inner bubble there and then they'll go up the motorway to... Old Trafford and play three of those uh, one-day internationals. The T20s are more relevant really than the one-days, but they're bringing out one gigantic squad of 26. Certainly that was the the plan that Cricket Australia announced about a month ago. Uh, Probably the main news in that is that Glenn Maxwell, uh, for the first time since taking a break from international cricket uh, late last year, is in the one-day squad and, of course, the T20 squad as well, but um, he, he took that um, time away from the game and now back and firing on all cylinders. He, he so was getting his elbow fixed after the big bash. That's right. Yeah, I, I, for a moment there, I kind of, I, I was going to say that there was, there, I, I was trying to, in my head, I was spooling through then. It's been such a long time. I'm like, didn't Maxi go to South Africa? But he decided to get an operation before the IPL and in turn was ineligible to play in South Africa. But still, it'll be his first appearance for Australia for about nine months, which is significant as far as, well, the final word's yeah. concerned. Yeah, Max Street's debate, back. All right. <laughs> um, so, so that fits in really nicely with, with the IPL. What doesn't fit in so nicely is the women's IPL. Uh, well, it's not really a tournament, but they they've got a three team, four game little exhibition thing to play during the IPL finals, like they did last time. But that's going to clash with the Women's Big Bash in Australia, which is happening in that um, dedicated window that it's got through November and into early December, I think. Yeah, and what was interesting about this for miners it was the players that kicked off and kind of made it a story. So Srav Ganguly uh, spoke to this. Oh, of course, he's the chair of the BCCI, confirming the four-team tournament uh, would take place in October, November, obviously, when the IPL's on. But... That runs straight into the Women's Big Bash League. And Elisa Healy picked up on this straight away and kicked off. And likewise, a number of high-profile players, I mean, Megan Shute, Susie Bates, uh, uh, Jess Jonathan from the Australian team, and drew it to, to the attention of everybody else that this was going to be a major problem because not only are there Indian players in the WBBL, of course, a number of Australian players have been involved in the in what they've called in the past the challenge comp that I think they're calling it the IPL now. But forget about the nomenclature. The, the idea of Australia players being precluded from that comp, it, I mean... The whole uh, discussion around T20 women's cricket, domestic T20 women's cricket in recent years has been about not making the same mistakes as the men with scheduling. So we didn't have this crossover, the idea of having an isolated window for the WBBL. I mean, I know this year is different. Of course, it's different with COVID, but it it does feel like a a bit of a shame that given, uh, you know, there's not going to be crowds anyway for this competition for the women, that why did we need to go down this path? Why couldn't it have held it at a different time and let the Indian women play in the WBBL as planned and, and vice versa? I can see why it's frustrating and disappointing. I also can't see how there's any way around it. You know, the the WBBL has a long time span. It starts in mid-October, 17th of October, I think, and goes through till the middle of November. So there's not a whole lot of options unless they make this women's tournament right at the start of the IPL, in which case it's up against all of the other games. I mean, the reason they have it during the finals week is that that's when there are breaks in the schedule you know that's when you don't have a game every day because you're giving teams breaks in between the the various finals that they play against each other and and so there's there's an audience there primed and ready and waiting whereas if you have it earlier in the tournament it's not the case so i i think it's frustrating but it's it's a one-year occurrence and it would be back to normal um, next year presumably as long as they can get the ipl up and running somewhere it may not be in india by next march april may but Mm. It, it'll probably be somewhere in the world. 
In terms of the WBBL, Jeff, a fair bit of news there as well. There's a lot of player movement, and I, I quite like this. It, it feels like the first few years there wasn't loads of this, but uh, as the competition matures, we're seeing stars nabbed by other teams, and like that's very interesting sort of in terms of the off-season. So the, the biggest news this week was that Beth Mooney's going to Perth. I mean, I, I only interviewed Beth two or three months ago about a number of things in her cricketing journey, but she loves the Brisbane Heat. Uh, you know, obviously they've won the competition twice, and she's been their best player but I mean her affection for the club was was palpable and now she's crossing the Nullarbor as they say over to Perth on a two-year deal which you know that that must have taken some doing to get her to leave her current club so she's effectively replacing Meg Lanning who's going from the Scorchers where she's been on the books for the last three years one she had a shoulder injury for but she played the last two seasons she's going back to the Stars where she originally started where Lizelle Lee is leaving and moving over to the Renegades so there's a bit of a you know a bit of a, a merry-go-round with the players but yeah I was we, we knew about um, Meg Lanning a few weeks ago we didn't know about Beth Mooney so quite the story. Musical chairs at the moment it, it's an odd one I'll, I'll be interested to find out a bit more about this because I wonder what other factors are at play you know I, I don't think it would necessarily have just been like here's a, a massive check um, and and then that that's what would make Beth go over because as, as you say she's she's so synonymous with the Brisbane Heat you know she was their breakout player in the first season of the Women's Big Bash that got her her start as, as an Australian player and uh, and she's been player of the match in their two winning finals you know made important 50s in in both of the finals that they've won the last couple of years so that yeah that that part's really interesting and th- there's there's nothing that would make me think Perth Scorchers is a is a fit, you know, is a place that she would go. So I'd be interested to find out why, but I suppose there'll there'll be more on that as we as we dig in a bit. Well, the only comment that was associated to it was that she sees it as an opportunity to be the, the big star in the way that Lanning was. So effectively taking Lanning's role as the star of the team, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe maybe that's just the idea of new challenges, uh, broadening her horizons or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Lanning, for her part, said her move to the stars was partially informed by the fact that Trent Woodhill, a friend of the show, is now going to be coaching the Melbourne Stars women's team. Team, as well as having responsibilities with running um, hmm. the Melbourne Stars men's team, list managing and so on. But um, yeah, it, yeah, there, there are different factors at play there. But the Stars losing Lizelle Lee, who's been their most consistent player and import from South Africa um, and going across the road to the Renegades. We've seen a little bit of that in the men's comp with, with players yep. jumping from the two Melbourne sides, but not so much in the women's yet. Lizelle Lee is a, is a classic Renegades player though. You know, idiosyncratic, uh, patchy, amazing on her day. Like she's yep. going to slot straight in. She'll, <laughs> she'll very much have, have the vibe of the Renegades over their last few years. The cricket you've been watching over the last couple of weeks, you were talking, well, the last few days really, time's not moving that fast. You were talking up Curtis Kampfer when you, we spoke to Warren Dutram, the, the Cricket Island boss last week and Curtis has not let you down. He's come into the side, made, made back-to-back 50s. Apparently no Irish player has ever made back-to-back 50s playing for Ireland in, in one day as he's come in and done it in his first two games. I mean, this has been a great week. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I got lucky really, didn't I? I interviewed this kid who was in the squad not expecting to be in the squad, and then he makes his debut from nowhere. He had no expectations of playing that first game. Makes a half century, takes a wicket fourth ball, uh, knocking over Tom Batten, uh, and then in the second game makes another half century, again with Ireland in all sorts of... An even better one. An even better one, agreed. Because the second time around, he had to build it, had to um, go up the gears at the end, and, you know, he hit a beautiful straight drive, uh, lofted straight drive, followed by a reverse lap next ball. I mean, he, in other words, he's got a reasonably big bag of tricks, but that, that's just the cricket side of it. The story's incredible. I mean, he's not played a game in Ireland yet, full stop. So he was a South African under-19s representative a couple of years ago, and he knew when he was about 16 or 17, this option might be available to him to play international cricket for Ireland. But the Irish team warmed up for the 2018 World Cup qualifier in South Africa. And he, as a member of the 19s, played a game against them. And Graham Ford, the coach of Ireland, who's also Mm. from South Africa, he goes, you know what, mate? If you want it, you can have this 
option to play international cricket. And he had the passport from as early as when he was a young boy, 2008. His parents um, applied for citizenship. So his grandmother, um, who was a nurse, I think I'm right in saying, after World War II, she migrated to South Africa. And that's why he's able to have both passports to begin with. But it's not as though he spent any time in Ireland. So um, he's linked to the YMCA club, which Harry Tector, who also debuted on Thursday. This is another lovely bit of it. So Harry went to school with Curtis. When they were 15 years old, Harry got a scholarship to study in Johannesburg, a cricket exchange type thing. So he spent a semester, best mates with Curtis as 15-year-olds. They had no idea that Curtis could one day play for Ireland. And then they make their one-day international debuts together <laughs> six years later. So And Harry made a duck and Curtis made a 15. He did, but Harry made an important 28. Harry made an important 28 um, in the second innings, I, I should I should note. And Harry's the, one of three of these Tector brothers who they've got huge wraps on in, in Irish cricket who have kind of coming through the system. And what I like about this is that it's both threads of Irish recruitment so in the with Curtis I mean as Warren pointed out last week that they've got the chance to take advantage of player movement but they've been a victim of player movement so often over the years indeed as recently as two months ago with Kim Garth in, in the women's game so with um, what they've done with Curtis that that's perfectly fair enough but um, on the other side of the ledger they are developing their own homegrown players through their um, through their pathway and that's what Harry Tector is. He didn't have some long-standing relationship with cricket. He just liked it as a kid at school and there was a chance to play and he went on the pathway and, and sort of here he is. So they're, they're, they're catering for both sides of the ball there. So that's been pretty cool. But yeah, Curtis, he's bloody confident, but also lovely. I, I really like him the few times I've talked to him. Um, like he speaks beautifully about his family and the support they give him. He's taken a wicket in his first over both times and Andrew Sampson worked out it's the first time any player in one day international cricket has made a pair of half centuries and taken wickets in their first two one day internationals so he's got <laughs> that record all on his own so yeah I, I was getting called the, the, the Curtis Camper correspondent I've written five stories about him already <laughs> across different publications <laughs> uh, by my colleagues the other day in the press box but that yeah that was a real highlight in what's otherwise been a pretty tough um, series for Ireland he kept them in the second game with those two quick wickets when Johnny Bairstow went bananas and made 82 from 41 balls so there was definitely a chance they could win that game after his wickets and breaking up the England middle order Josh Little did likewise with three wickets after that but um, in both instances they were 28 for five in the first game and 44 for four off 17 overs in the second game and the reality is if your senior players fall namely Andy Balburnie the skipper and Paul Sterling the, the veteran opener the way that they did in both games I mean Balburnie was out to James Vince it, yeah. I mean, Balburnie's a class player. I mean, he, he was gutted getting out to the part-time filth of Vince. And, it, yeah, it kind of symbolised... He got bounced out by James Vince. He wasn't just out. He got, he yeah. got a bumper. We tried to pull out of the through. shot. He was going to cut him and realised it was getting a bit get there a bit quicker than he thought at, you know, 78 mile an hour. And instead of following through with the shot, he pulled his bat back and it caught the shoulder of it and went through to the to the wicketkeeper Bairstow. So that was particularly dispiriting. I'm, I'm talking to Balbo in a bit, actually, um, before the, the final one day. Or I'm sure he'll um, continue to be furious about that dismissal. But, yeah, like, it, it, it's been... <laughs> It's been the a mismatch. Rest of his life. <laughs> yeah, it's been this mismatch, and I guess uh, Curtis has been good in, in bringing the two teams closer together on paper than they otherwise would be. David Willey, five wickets in the first game back. Jeff, two in the second, made forty-eight not out. I think in that chase on Saturday. I mean, you, you were here last year, of course, Jeff, when Willey was overlooked for the World Cup squad, having played pretty much every one day for England in the four years that preceded it, as they went to number one as their opening bowler, and they went with Jofra Archer instead, and he was understandably gutted, but. It shows the sort of character he is that he's sort of found a way to get back into the team and performed immediately. I don't know how you would summon the enthusiasm, to be honest. Like, sitting out and watching that World Cup final happen and thinking, yep, didn't didn't get to do that. I don't know how you'd show up a year later and say, well, I'm just going to start doing it again. Uh, but I suppose if he had been there, then something else would have happened you know they wouldn't mm. have had that magic final they would have you know they might still have won it um, they would have won it in a less interesting way so it's one of those things where you, you can never go back and and change the timeline but he's got this opportunity in that second string of, of England players to try to stake a claim when the players who are in the test squad are back so there's there's him doing that uh, Reese Topley showing up the the big tall left arm fast bowler getting around with the the Rambo headgear at the moment which you know, is, has been very endearing. James Vince having a bowl and bouncing someone out, which was ridiculous. When he came on, I was like, how is he going to nick off 
for a stylish twenty five while he's bowling. You know, this is the, the, the his thing, his bag, his his signature move. How is he going to replicate it with the ball? Um, but instead, he got another stylish player out for for fifteen, I think. And and Sam Billings has made runs as well. So there's there's all of those players who are trying to push for a, a spot in that that primary squad when everyone's together. Yeah, there's some similarities between Willie and. And Billings. So Billings made his debut at the start of that surge in 2015, and he was always in and out of the team. He was kind of always the spare batsman in the squad, but uh, half century unbeaten in the first game, 45 not out in a pretty tough situation in the second. So he's he, and and he wouldn't have played. He was going to be the spare bat again, but Joe Denley had shaggers back before the start of the series and um, got omitted uh, the, on the morning of the first one day. And Reese Topley talking about bad backs. I mean, I think he's had more stress fractures than he's had hot dinners over the last four years. I mean, I remember when Jeffy made his international debut, we were there at Manchester in 2015. And of course, we spent a fair bit of time with his old man, Don, that summer. And Don, of course, former Essex bowler, was very happy and so on. But it wasn't long before Reese um, had his first serious back injury in early 2016 after the World T20. And, and that was it. He's moved counties. He went to Hampshire, now over to Surrey, has barely played, went on a Lions tour, got back kind of in the system and at age 26 he's still a quality bowler so he gets his chance again Billings gets a proper opportunity uh, and David Willey uh, once more who again as we mentioned before has been in and out so it's been that kind of that kind of series really like you said there's <laughs> these guys who have been there and thereabouts they missed out on World Cup glory last year but I mean they're the best team in the world for a reason and I guess they've got incumbency heading into the Australia series I'm, I'm just going to have to say it Willie's been in and out anyway <laughs> uh, <laughs> play uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 this is your best self, Jeff. You just got to do it. <laughs> I can't. I can't deny who I am. You know. No, that's <laughs> I can't right. Deny who I am. Um, a, f- a few ins and outs at Cricket Australia. Well, a couple of outs. A uh, couple of high-ranking sorts who were pretty closely allied to Kevin Roberts, which may or may not have something to do with it. Chief Operating Officer Scott Grant and. The comms boss, Karina Keisler, both out in the same week, which is interesting as there's uh, various bits of discord going around with uh, the state associations who who are also annoyed at Cricket Australia not um, talking to McDonald's about a sponsorship deal. So there's, there's a whole lot, whole lot of things still flying around. Yeah, so the two departures uh, have... Yeah, it, it, the way it was reported by uh, Andrew Wu in the Sydney Morning Herald was that in the case of Keisler, her, his words, cards were marked after uh, she wasn't completely across the Roberts situation. Of course, Roberts was removed as chief executive and and, uh, that's the suggestion there that she was so closely allied to the chief executive that it wasn't sustainable for her to stay. And Scott Grant, who was pals with Roberts from beforehand through Club Cricket Land and and so on. So they're the two changes there. Michael Kasperwitz left the board last week, Jeff. Uh, oh, yeah. After nine so, years as a director, with with no real indication of what was going on. I mean, they're, yeah. they're so opaque. They just said, "Oh, the time is right for me to step away." And you're like, "Is it? Would it be that hard for anyone to actually be explicit about what's going on at CA?" You know, this is this is the thing that that, that still bugs me is that as far as their public communications go, you know, you can you can ask around and find things out in private, but as far as their public facing stuff goes. No one's ever willing to just say what's up. Yeah, well, I mean, the comparison I've uh, raised on the show before is that like they're like a tiny government department, but without having the scrutiny of an opposition party. Which means that I mean, who cares if they um, aren't as forthright with the media as they might otherwise be? It doesn't really matter. What's the worst case scenario? As you say, Jeff, journalists will get the yarn eventually uh, if they have the contacts and, and the and the skills. But I mean, as far as their public communications are concerned, I mean, I, I'm sure the attitude is well, you know. What does it matter if they um, mm. if they are vague about these sorts of things? But yeah, so Kasperwitz left. There's some re- some other reporting during the week that he may not be the only director who's looking to get out at the moment. So keep a watching brief on that. And yeah, that was a really interesting Chris Barrett exclusive on the Stoush between. Uh, well, not the Stoush. That's probably the wrong way of putting it. But McDonald's have directly communicated with the chair Earl Eddings, the chairman of CA, wanting to know why they have not been heard for their pitch for the BBL. So KFC are the long-standing sponsor. And the, and the response from CA in that story was that um, there's, a, there's a long-standing loyalty to KFC, so they are going to get a rails run as far as renewing their contract. But the, the report has it as Mac is willing to pay more money than KFC. And where this intersects with the states is that even if it is a difference of, say, a couple of million dollars, like the story points to, how many million dollars did they save after all those staff fellows back in June, Jeff? Was it $3 million? I mean... 3.4, I think, yeah. 
So if we're talking about small buckets of money, well, I can kind of get it why the states might be a bit eyebrow-raised if, if they see a sum of money being overlooked in favour of loyalty. I mean, it's hard to know all the ins and outs of this, but that's how it was presented in the story. Probably a lot of the state associations would quite like to have $2 million more than than they're going to get if Mm. if it came down to that. You know, it it doesn't sound like much in the overall scheme, but it's still $2 million. So, yeah, that's a... A peculiar one there when when there was such a such intensity about the drive to find savings and efficiencies everywhere that they wouldn't be interested in making more cash. As the streets sang, a grand don't come for free, Jeff. <laughs> and and also, I mean, it would spare us that the the idiocy with the freaking idiots with the buckets on their heads like you know they'd have to put a big polystyrene big mac box on their heads or something instead <laughs> you have to go for a whole new deal but um you know like at least that at least that particular one of one of the lowest regular lowest points of cricket in australia would be over jeff before we go to our interview for today and look at the england pakistan series i reckon we have enough time for a little bit of nerd pledge very very quickly just a couple uh, the game of nerds the game of pledges the game we play with people on our patron page where they support the show they keep it going by sending us a number of dollars and cents thank you and that number relates to cricket in some way and we need to work out what it is First cab today is Mark Fenton, as promised on the last show, with $2.10. Now, of course, any time I see or you see two ten, <laughs> all we think of is Dino shitting himself in the grass. Uh, I love how that story has got legs. You know, it's gone from him nearly pissing himself on the field or maybe pissing himself, who's to know, that 30-odd years later he shat himself on the ground. I love that. Absolutely. He dug a hole at Spackwood Square Leg, popped a squat in it um, and, and covered it up, filled in the divot and away he went. Um, that's Look, I assume because I've never seen any footage of it um, in in – uh, Madras, which is now Chennai, but if you go back and look at the reporting, you'll find it happening in in Madras. The two hundred and ten in the tied Test match there. That's that's what that's what springs from my Australian bones from the marrow when when uh, someone says two ten. But uh, what else did you find digging around? Yeah, if you want to see highlights of that Jones innings, a lot of them are on the Mike Howard documentary that I reckon he would have made nearly 20 years ago now, which dealt with uh, um, the 1986 Tide Test. I don't remember what it was called, but it was one of those ABC docos that did the rounds in the early 2000s. And uh, unfortunately, the, the, the last day has been taped over. I learnt this when researching calling the shots at Dudashan, who, who were the national broadcaster at the time. They taped okay. over the final day of the Tide Test oh. match, with the exception of the news highlights, of course, which were on a separate camera. But the actual commentary and gameplay for a, oh, um, for, a t- for a table tennis tournament that was played a couple of weeks later. Ah. Isn't that ah. just galling? Brad Sander oh. told me that and I had to look around and, you know, I was able to satisfy myself that it was accurate. It, it was, I mean, ah, oh, to think that lived and breathed and now it doesn't. It's just oh, beyond, isn't no it? No one can see the expression on my face because this is an audio medium, but it's like it hasn't moved for about the last 60 seconds before I mean, you told me. So, that. so I mean, it's not as though there's no footage from the final horror. day and from the game. Of course, there's, there's the news cameras that were there. So we've all seen um, Greg Matthews take the final wicket and, and spool away and, and so on with his appeal. But obviously, you, you can't quite see all of that shot, though, because it's kind of from long off. So you, we don't, you know often it's been said that that wasn't out and the umpire at the time, his name I can't recall now, just wanted to be part of history and triggered. Uh, Ravi Shastri's down the other end, isn't he? But still, that we'll never truly know because we don't have the ability to watch it from directly behind the bowler's arm. So that's the 210 with Dino. But I was going with another Victorian, Mark Fenton. I'm not sure whether he is Victorian, but Bill Laurie's high-scoring test cricket was also 210. And having a look at this, of course, last week, there was that Channel 9 program. It wasn't This Is Your Life... Bill Laurie, which was the the twelfth man tape from Christmas '98, I think it was, which I reckon I listened to a hundred times uh, over that summer. But it was a version of that. And they're doing one on Ian Chapel this week uh, using all the old Channel Nine archive. But um, in 1965, Laurie made 210 at Bridgetown, and it is a really interesting report to look through and a, a fascinating scorecard. I'll give you the abridged version. So Australia bat first and make 650 for five declared. Laurie wow. and Simpson both make double hundreds. The first time in Test cricket where both opening bats go on to make a double ton. They put on 382. Um, Simpson's eventually out for 201. And then Laurie's out 
uh, with the score 522 when he's 210. So with Bob Cowper coming in at number three, who also made 100, he didn't exactly put the foot down. He probably recoiled a little bit from that stage. I think Cowper went at a, a quicker clip than he did. But anyway, so 522 for two. Laurie's out for 210. Brilliant innings. Great contributions from both him and the captain, uh, Bob Simpson. Press fast forward a few days. A six-day test match, a, a, a rest day in there as well. So they play for an, an entire week there at Bridgetown. And because... Australia were already 2-0 down in the series, and this was the penultimate match. They had to declare and set the West Indies 253 in 85 overs. Talk about a generous declaration. After making 650 in the first dig, they're setting, you know, the Windies, what's that, three and over, almost bang on, three and over to win uh, on the final afternoon. So they had four and a half hours, but 85 overs available to them. And the Windies... They went for it to an extent, but they fell 11 runs short. They, they made it to 242 for five after 85 overs. So they, so came, they weren't bowled out. They weren't bowled out. I mean, they, they were just five down. So Sobers was batting at the end. Simpson set eight fielders out on the boundary for the last hour, which meant that finding the rope was very hard. In, I guess the boundaries were far harder to reach. In any case, uh, went in, in that era. Yeah, bigger, bigger ground, no ropes. Bigger grounds, no ropes, you know, bats that were toothpicks and so on. But on the final day, too, which we should add into that. But, yeah, so it was a drawn test match after all. The, I, I saw the Wisdom report here um, described it as uh, West Indies fell 11 runs short with five wickets left in a thrilling a finish as you could wish to see, um, which is odd when you think it's a draw and, you know, neither side's ended up winning the test but I guess it's a test match that was reflective of its of its time and, and because the West Indies got that draw they in turn went on to win the series. 36 not out for Sobers who once hit 36 in an over. <laughs> I mean Ben Stokes would have won it you know yep. he yep. would have hit the sixes I was like maybe maybe that's the end of the debate maybe maybe uh, maybe greatest all-rounder of all time is settled you know it just seems strange sorry, when you look sorry, at it you see, yeah you kind of see that they fall 11 runs short in 85 overs like they could have you know, they, they could have planned their innings a little bit better. Uh, they, they, a, few, a few singles, like just, just plug, tuck a few off the hip here and there in the middle, you know. It's not, you wouldn't think it'd be that hard. Day six, you've had a rest day. <laughs> sort your shit out, 1960s West Indies. Um, well, okay, that's, that's disappointing. I'm disappointed in retrospect, but yeah, to opening the batting with two doubles is, is pretty special as well. So Mark Fenton, I, I hope that your 210 has been covered in one of those options. The other number today is from Rob O'Neill, and it is $5.57. Thank you, Rob. Now, what did 5.57 mean? What significant cricketing number could it be? Well, Harry Grimmett. I was going to say, it, it, you're, you're a erogenous zone here, Jeff, isn't it? Uh, Clary Grimmett Clary has a 557, and it's not due to what he did with the ball either. He, he made 557 test runs, your boy, Clary, an average of 14, <laughs> yes. and a highest score of an even 50, which he made in the yes. rain-ruined Ashes test match at Old Trafford in 1930. So, I mean, it probably isn't Clary Grimmett's 557 it, it's runs. It's definitely Clary Grimmett's 557. <laughs> That's what it is. I've... He's one half century. He, he never got to an even 50 again, so it's nice and clean when you when you look at his record, which I do probably once a day, um, just to make sure it's, it's still there. Still there. I'm like, oh, still so fast to 200 wickets, nearly six wickets a test match. Who else has done that? Nobody. Nobody does that. No one takes them that quickly. No one took them like Clary. 557 runs could, you know, useful down the order. Didn't get to play that many tests because of Bradman. Thanks, Bradman. Good work dickhead um <laughs> but you know that clary could have had 600 plus runs if he if he'd been allowed an, another couple of tours uh so clary's 557 i just thought in a nice little callback to what we were talking about before bob simpson's best figures in test cricket were 557 <laughs> against england at the scg in 1963 oh, and our boy ravichandra and ashwin also took five for 57 he had the most maidens out of a innings of an innings uh, collective five for 57 he bowled 18 maidens in 34 overs against the australians at chennai in 2013 and there was one person that took five for 57 twice um, the big wheelie bin, the king of Spain, Flash Ash Giles. <laughs> so that, to be honest with you, that's all yeah. I've got. I mean, there's one more bit here, which Carlos Brathwaite, remember the name. That was in the 557th T20 International. So we've got options there. Oh, but hello. I, I feel hello. like there might no, that's, be... Look, between Clary and Carlos, <laughs> in, in a way, two, two titans of their eras, uh, kindred spirits, yeah. in the way they went about the game, the, the tiny, bald man who never took his hat off and the enormous 
sometimes also bald if he wants to be, but that, you know, could have hair if he wants Carlos Brathwaite. I'd love to see them together. I'd love to see them batting together in the way that, you know, Jason Holder and Shane Dorich were. Rackham Cornwall with uh, Jermaine, Jermaine Blackwood, Blackwood, I think was yeah. the main standout a, a last couple week. Of, a couple of um, exercises in, in contrast there. I'd, I'd love to see Carlos and Clary, the two Cs, together at last. So if you want to get involved in the fun on Nerd Pledge, our Patreon page is patreon.com forward slash the final word. We're only doing a couple each week on the on the on the weekly show, and then on the weekend we're having loads of fun, Jeff. I mean, we if you haven't listened to last Saturday's episode, I think that's the best one we've done yet. We get through a stack of numbers, tons of Patreon messages, all sorts of different weird and wonderful calculations, and um, yes, that's a, that's a joy for us to be doing. So uh, we'll continue doing that on the weekend and, and on the weekly show. We'll, we'll just do a little bit to keep you. Uh, keep you enthused for the for the nerd pledge game. Whatever it shall be named, we'll work that out in due course. Let's take a quick breather to talk about worldwide satellite messaging, something close to both of our hearts, and then we'll talk to Zainab Abbas about Pakistan touring England. Zolio, Jeff, I can see it in your hand. It's the size of a credit card. You can strap it on your belt enables you to talk to people all over this big brown land of ours no matter what sort of phone reception you have it's a gem it's the zolio tell us all about it every other land as well brown green blue kevin costner water world doesn't matter as long as you can see <laughs> the sky and you have a smartphone of some sort you can text anyone in the world via satellite technology from wherever you are you can be on a raft in the middle of the ocean like thor Heyerdahl, although i think think he was only using um, uh, Peruvian technology from the time, so probably wouldn't have had one. I don't think they had these. Would have been much easier if they did. You know, those roads they had to build to run between the Incan cities. <laughs> if they'd had Zolio, just ping a message. Boy, <laughs> Spaniards coming. Bing. You know, sad emoji, and, and that would have sorted it out. So it, it's it's like the device for people who don't want the full commitment of a smart of like a satellite phone, where you, it's it's more complicated and expensive and so on. But you can get yeah. this thing; they're cheap. The subscriptions are cheap, and what it means is that it connects your phone to the satellite network with an app on the phone that then lets you send text messages to any phone number or any email address. This is what I've been playing with during the week. So you can, it'll deliver it to people's email inboxes or to people's phones from the one little text box on these apps. So you cool. you can punch out anyone in your contacts list with a, a phone number, a WhatsApp number, a whatever, an email, and it will send it straight to them. So then they can reply to you from their email inbox, from their phone, wherever it is that they are, and you'll get that message wherever you are around the world. If you're in town, it taps into the general normal phone network so it doesn't charge you for satellite messages. Uh, and if you're out on the mountains then and there's no reception, you'll always be in contact. You will never not be able to send a text. It's the best possible combination really, isn't it? Because, I mean, I sort of see it as if you're a commitment phobe and you don't want to go the whole hog on satellite technology. This is if you're satellite curious. If you just want to... <laughs> t- tip your toe in the water of satellite technology and see what it's all about, then the Zolio is the perfect option. And, Jeff, where can someone find one of these magical contraptions? Zolio.com, Z-O-L-E-O. Zolio, Zolio, feeling hot, hot, hot. Um, and, and you can send the fire emojis to whoever you want around the world. That's that, that's the deal. This is, this is why these things are good. They're easy, they're quick. I set it up in five minutes uh, and it didn't have any annoying painful things to deal with while doing that if you want to be able to text from anywhere around the world zolio.com check them out hi i'm natalie jimonis and you are listening to the final word with jeff lemon and adam collins this is the final word with adam collins and jeff lemon and down the line with us in pakistan is a friend of the show i don't really know how to introduce you actually Zana, but a journalist a broadcaster a tv host these days a a social media superstar as well. We're absolutely thrilled to have you uh, joining us for the first time on The Final Word. Thank you so much, Carla. Looking forward to it. Hello to both of you. Zay, in, in terms of COVID and how it affects this series, of course, there'll be biosecure test matches as they were with uh, the West Indies when they were out here. But um, the Pakistan team ran into some trouble before they even left the country. Uh, a number of players were 
they were tested positive, then they were um, tested separately, taken away and brought on a second flight. There was quite a bit of confusion there for a couple of weeks. Can you just give us a bit of a sense of uh, what happens there and uh, and where things are placed now in terms of the virus and the team? Well, what happened was that I think um, before they actually flew, it was Eid here. Now, Eid is a very festive uh, occasion and... Uh, let's just say people were not great in following the protocol. People still met up, um, you know, over dinners. Uh, they were still socializing, mm. and not really understanding. I think the the it's 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 taken a, 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 some time for people to actually grasp uh, what's happening around and what needs to be done. I think people were still kind of taking it, you know, really easily. So I I do feel like. Uh, the the measures that should have been taken on an individual level were not taken by uh, a lot of people. And during Eid, because of the fact that so many people socialized carelessly, we saw the results, the consequences after like four, five days or 10 days. And that was very much closer to the time when the team was leaving for England. Mm. So I do feel like that had a lot of role to play, considering the fact that um, you know there was just carelessness around uh, individually. Um, and now it has settled down because, um, you know, because of obviously it's on a government level, uh, you know, it's been reinforced again and again how one needs to be taking precautions. So, um, so that's what happened uh, mainly. Um, but I think every, everything is fine now. And, uh, you know, even Harris Rauf, uh, uh, our fast bowler who, who was initially positive is now negative and he's he's now in in England to be with with the squad right that's interesting because Harris Ralph isn't in either of the squad of 20 who initially flied out or the or flew out I should say or the half a dozen players that joined them it feels as though there's been a bit of flux with the squad there have been players that have been in both squads at different times and I don't think it's entirely clear who's here and who isn't here but so Harris Ralph is here is he part of the test group or or just the t20s that followed you know well Harris hasn't really played any test uh, for Pakistan, you know, Harris has mm. been a predominantly, uh, you know, T Twenty limited overs uh, uh, overs bowler, and he's done he's done reasonably well in that format. But if you look at him, he was he was a guy who was found through a talent hunt uh, for PSL. He's not gone through the proper domestic circuit route uh, to come through. So he is uh, predominantly uh, a limited overs uh, player and. You know he's 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 known for his pace and his brilliant mm. uh, yorkers that he bowls. So um, we'll have to. I, I I very much doubt. I don't think he's in in the reckon for uh, the tests at all because he's just got no experience of that at, uh, mm. whatsoever. I think what Pakistan has tried to do is they've just because of the conditions that we're in. You know the conditions that we're living in. They've tried to get the maximum out of players and, and see. Um, you know just have enough reserves and have enough options uh, to play with but he's definitely not in uh, the front line when it comes to uh, when it comes to the to the tests yeah that's definitely what it looks like Zainab. everybody's there i mean everyone's come over it's like they couldn't decide what to pack they've just ended up like there are more people in england than there are in pakistan now absolutely yeah that's that's pretty much i i mean i think the ones who have been left out they must be Really feeling it that they've not even made it to the, you know, the the twenty that that's uh, there. But yeah, I mean, Harris Rauf has left for England. Uh, that much uh, I know, and uh, I think now you've got everybody there. Like you know, Mohammad Amir was joining the squad late because of uh, the fact that he's, you know, had a we just recently had a baby girl. Um, so he's also there now. They've got the squad. They've had a, a few, um, you know, practice games as well um, in between themselves game so um so yeah it should should make for an interesting series yeah including Wahab Rehaz I, I counted eight fast bowlers plus uh, Muhammad Amir makes nine Harris Rauf of course you mentioned there for the T20s makes 10 I mean that's a lot of lot of options in terms of seam bowlers Muhammad Abbas of course who did so well here in 2018 Muhammad Musakhan who debuted in Australia likewise Nassim Shah the 16 year old who took a hat trick against Bangladesh in Pakistan's most recent test Shaheen Afridi who presumably will lead the attack of course the fast left armour then we've got Sahal Khan Usman Shinwari there are a lot of options there <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I think uh, it's it's pretty much everybody that you could think of but like I think uh, they, they will pretty much from what I feel they will go with the settled atta- attack that they've had for the past you know year or so um, which is basically Abbas, Shaheen and um, Nassim Shah um, mm. uh, but, uh, but again this is this is 
really inexperienced if mispa and co want to go for uh, a bit of experience then you never know they might even try to hail khan at some point only because he's done well in the side games and he did take like five wickets in that one test match he played in Edgbaston in 2016 so of um it it should be interesting it should be interesting um but uh, it, it is i will go on to say that it is quite an inexperienced uh, bowling attack apart from mohammad abbas pakistan does have a great recent test record against england though they've drawn the last two series in england they've won the the last two series in the uae so i mean the english haven't beaten pakistan in a test series for a long time they they'll be very very keen to correct that yeah i think if you look at uh, the teams that have toured england uh, pakistan has got the highest winning percentage since 2011 they've actually uh, managed to i think win three games out of the six that they've played since 2011 and um, you know it's um, the conditions which have suited them they've done really well uh, where you know they've won at the oval the, uh, at the lords where it becomes a bit dry and the spinners can take uh, things uh, uh, under control like you know the likes of yasser shah we saw in 2016 how prolific mm. he was in that oval test match or at lords and there's been like individual brilliant uh, performances from the batting uh, as well but this is i feel like this is a different team slightly like i said i do feel there is a bit of a difference because of the fact that it's slightly inexperienced you know uh, in 2018 they had um, two very frontline experienced bowlers you've got mohammad amir and mohammad abbas you know working in tandem um unfortunately that's not the case right now because amir has officially retired from uh, test although i am hearing that you know th- there is that um conjecture also going around that if required he might be <laughs> really come back you will time. surely you can say it can't you third test match of this series you know england where everything you know went awry for him all those years ago you can just see it now the, the late call up in the squad there in the bubble come on mohammad amir take the new ball and goes and bowls pakistan yes. to another series victory you can see it can't you it's in the stars uh, i can absolutely see it and i can totally expect it from pakistan cricket um you know i'm sure you all remember afridi reversing his retirement decisions a million right. times as well so it's, it's something which is very synonymous with pakistan cricket uh, but i do feel like if things don't go their way then they will try their best to you know maybe ask him to come back and try you know desperate times call for desperate measures so you just never know about that just in terms of the warm up games so they've had two green versus white warm ups they have, they've gone away from the naming protocol the england team and the and the west indies team went with where naming their sides after their captain and vice captain but in any case there was the barber azam and the azar ali uh, teams that played a couple of games in derby and look they went pretty well i mean it, it looked like all the batsmen got runs imam shan Masood was in with uh, he made runs in both games. Azarali made a ton. Um, Rizwan, uh, he, uh, a player who we we saw of course uh, play in Australia last year, made an unbeaten half century, an unbeaten century in in the second dig there. So he's in top. Nick Thakazaman made ninety nine in the second game. Saad Shafiq made a couple of half centuries. Then with the ball, um, you mentioned uh, Sohail Khan. I mean that. Uh, that 2016 test at Edgbaston sticks in the memory for me. He picked up five in one of the games. Shaheen Afridi, a couple of bags of three as well. So, I mean, in terms of what, what they've got going for them, and Nassim Shah, I should add, uh, picked up a couple of forfeits too. So um, that frontline attack um, have all, and the top six for that matter, top seven if you include Rizwan, the, the wicketkeeper, they're all in pretty good nick coming into the first test match. Yeah, I mean, uh, Azhar Ali is, of course, uh, the captain of the team. He's leading the side and he's been somebody who's added a lot of stability in that middle order over the last, uh, you know, few years, especially after Miss Baal Haq and Yunus Khan retired. It was considered that Azhar Shafiq and Azhar Ali will be the backbone of that uh, of that batting lineup. But I think, I you know, I think the key player for me is, in that lineup is going to be Babar Azam because, you know, he, ha- he is somebody who has really come off age um initially when he started uh, there were those thoughts that you know maybe he's just a limited overs player um but um he's he's i feel like he's evolving as a player evolving as a test player um and he's just such a such a such a good batsman to watch i think like you know it really his his wicket is going to be crucial i feel in in this series what's it been like watching him 
unfold, I guess, over the last few years, the way that Barbar has, like you said, come on from being seen as that white ball player, but then the way that he played in the test matches in Pakistan when test cricket finally got back to Pakistan, uh, the way he just clicked into it so naturally there, um, the way that, you know, he's... It's only a couple of years, but he's he's starting to put his name up there with that top three or four as as the dominant batsman in Test cricket in the world. Yeah, I think he's uh, really worked hard uh, on his game uh, because uh, when he started, I think Test cricket was something that um, you know it, it it's a different ball game altogether, and it it is a real test of your temperament and you know so many other things, so many other aspects come into the play when you're playing this particular format. Um, we, we always knew that he's really talented and, you know, technically he's right up there with the best when you look at him. But it was really about adapting to this format and understanding what's required. Um, so I, I feel like he's he's now beginning to find that balance uh, where he's not losing himself as a batsman, but also, you know, being able to adapt and, and be patient and play that, that testing. So, It'll be interesting to see. We we we're yet to see him score like that big hundred overseas. Um, you know, he he's done that at home, but just being able to adapt to conditions, I think it'll, it'll be really interesting. But the, the the thing with him is that once he does get going, he does score pretty quickly. Like you know, he he's not somebody who's going to stop his flow of runs. So that's uh, what we we're, we're all uh, looking forward to, and I'm I'm pretty sure that he's. It's definitely going to be a prized wicket for England every time that you know Pakistan is out there playing against them. Yeah, we talk. You talk about um, that that away record. I suppose that the where he broke the damn wall, if you like, was against Australia in Brisbane last year. Second innings hundred in a losing effort, albeit. But then, of course, he uh, against Sri Lanka, they all made a stack of runs in December, and he was part of that. A couple of centuries there, another hundred against Bangladesh and Karachi, which was the only test they got into that series before coronavirus. So it does feel like he's kind of turned a corner. And as I say, Pakistan did well um, after losing to Australia. But um, yeah, coming back here, Zay, uh, you mentioned before that the 2016 series and, and Jeff did as well about 2018. I mean, it was a pretty special time for Pakistani cricket, wasn't it, 2016? That, that, that draw, which was a 2-2 series result uh, by winning the final test at the Oval, uh, having been thrashed in the third test, I should add. So it was like back, backs against the wall stuff and under the Misbah captaincy. That took them to the top of world cricket. I mean, it's only... Four years ago, that was uh, they were you know top of the pile, uh, having gone through so much in the previous five years under the captaincy of Misbah. It was an amazing time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it it was um, for for Misbah luck and Yunus Khan. Um, you know, considering they were sort of towards the end of their careers, um, I think it was a fantastic result for both of them because I remember that Misbah luck scored quarter century in in that first test, and then it was Yunus Khan. With that, mm. and Yunus Khan was somebody who was struggling throughout that series. So much was spoken about his stance, about him jumping around on the pitch, and you know he not being able to score um, in in that series. And then he comes back bang in in that uh, last Test match at Oval, and he scored that match-winning uh, double hundred. So they were the two sort of stalwarts of Pakistan cricket. And after obviously they retired, um, it was very hard to 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 find a stability in that middle order which was provided by them. But it was definitely a special time for, for Pakistan cricket. Winning in England is always special as it is because it's not the easiest conditions to back in and just to win in general. But I think Pakistan just had the... Uh, they were they were able to... Um, I think they, they could have actually capitalized on some of the moments in that Edgbaston test. I, I clearly remember... That I don't know if you remember if you were there to cover it, but they were leading by a hundred runs. That's right, yeah. In that test match, and then they gave away those hundred runs right before lunch. So it was just this really poor um, bowling, and I think that's that's one of the things that is going to be a test for Pakistan: that the ability to be consistent uh, over the period of 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 the three tests, because um, you know it's a, it's a test of fitness as well, and that's an area where Pakistan has generally struggled. Um, you know, there were so many talks about Suhail Khan, you know, g- getting those five wickets, but he wasn't able to replicate those skills, those uh, performances, mainly because of the fact that, you know, if you compare the two teams, Pakistan, England is a, perhaps a much fitter team. So, um, 
there were lots of aspects to it which is why it was it was a draw and it was a fair result but pakistan was pretty pleased with the way they played because uh, you know drawing a series is also um not a small achievement in, in a place like England. Zana, but enough about the cricket. We 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 I think we've done um the series preview bit uh sufficiently now. The reason why 2016 is also interesting is where we all kind of met you. You're another freelancer in the press box. We remember meeting at Lords and you were there sort of doing a, a little bit for the newspaper Dawn, a little bit of TV work uh, back to Pakistan, but I mean you were just another journalist in the box really and this is a really crude way of measuring it, but I remember you had about 30,000 odd Twitter followers and you press fast forward to the, the, to the next time. And the reason I say that is they press fast forward two years to the next time you were in England, the next time we saw you in, in, in this country, albeit between times, of course, you spent Christmas with us in 1617, of course, um, uh, and, and through that series of Pakistan play. But the next time you're in, you're in, uh, in the UK, you had a million Twitter followers. I mean, your, your celebrity, if you like, and your career exploded through those couple of years, of course, with the PSL uh, starting and you hosting that program and so on. But what was it like going from being kind of like a freelance journalist, um, not too dissimilar to Jeff and I as far as you had a different career before you did this and so on, um, to then being so very much in the public eye and having such an enormous following? Um, I mean, like, you know, at, at the end of the day, it is work for me and it is something that I'm passionate about. So I guess if you if you love what you do, it kind of gets you through, you know, regardless. And of course, it has been, um, you know, there has been growth, there has been opportunities there've been um, so many things that i've been involved in but it's 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 all been part of that learning process um and the way i started i i just i just wanted to continue doing what i was doing and i was getting various opportunities very good opportunities that i availed um and i think you know at the end of the day like like i said you know if you if you love what you do and you love talking cricket then then yeah it kind of works for you so um it just it just so happened that i i worked hard and you know just like everybody else i was really into what i was doing and um yeah that's the rest is history yeah is it worth the price of having like how many thousands of people a day try to explain to you how cricket works on the internet <laughs> uh, trust me uh, I, I I don't think it's in thousands. It's probably in millions. That that number <laughs> definitely not in thousands. And I think you've only uh, you know you've you've only spoken about how many keyboard uh, experts we have out there. But don't forget yep. the trolls that are out there who are waiting to to you know respond to you. I mean mm. I feel like um, we if if you're like on on television uh, as it is, I feel like anybody feels the license to write anything to you. But I, I've kind of gotten used to it. I'm sure, like you guys are also like you read something and you're like, oh, okay, whatever. Now, you you, you know you you have your thoughts and you just keep them to yourself. Sometimes you have a go at people <laughs> as well. But I think that's part and parcel of what you do. I mean, if you have a public voice and if you are coming out with an opinion, like I will get the odd comment here and there that you know who are you to speak? Who are you to give your opinion? What have you? Have you played cricket? Have you? You know, like it's just the, the usual comments and stupid trolls that you get um but but i, I that, like i said you know everything is not hunky dory all this and you just have to kind of laugh it off you know develop a thick skin yeah, and I suppose you have to because there's that scrutiny, isn't there? When I think your reach now it goes to two and a half million when you include Instagram, it's crazy, right? So I mean, everything you do is spoken about and reflected upon. Talk about trolls and so on. I mean, it's a pretty big shift in the space of a few years to sort of have you know not necessarily having a life in cricket to being in the press box to uh, being a you know a kind of a household name in, in Pakistan and around the cricketing world. That that's a big shift. It is a massive shift. It is a massive shift. Like I said, that you always you do feel like you're being judged constantly. You know, you're you're there's always an opinion on what you are doing, what you're wearing, what you're. You know, we mm. we have to also uh, you know experience that on our end, being a part of uh, you know being on on the telly. It's always one of those things where people feel the need to comment on your appearance and and so many other aspects of it. Um, but like I said, I think you you over a period of time. I think initially when you're new, it kind of a lot of things get to you, and you you're not understanding how it's um, how it's all unfolding. But after a, after a while, I feel like you develop some kind of an immunity, or you have to to survive, right? I mean, well, you have to keep reminding yourself that your focus is your work and not what 
XYZ is saying about you. I think what I totally appreciated just how big a deal you were over there was that when your mum uh, was appointed to the cabinet by Imran Khan last year as a parliamentary secretary for foreign affairs and in the parliament, when the news report that I read at the time ref- referred to her, the headline was that she was your mum as opposed to uh, her own, uh, which, uh, you know, and as I say, I mean, obviously she's in the parliament there and got this senior role uh, in Imran Khan's government. I mean, that's, again, that's another layer of scrutiny, isn't it, that your family are all in the public eye? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I get uh, people who follow her commenting on me and people who are following me are commenting on her. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, um, there's no respite, basically. There's, there's uh, the, the swords and the daggers are out from all ends. Um, but like she, she has like obviously she has her own share of Twitter following or social media mm-hmm. following, and she literally does not read anything. Like I read sometimes her comments, and I'm like, why are you? She's like, there's no point, you know. Um, she, she, if if we get criticized being in, <clears throat> you know, the voice of sports, she's obviously a, a politician, so it's much, much, much worse for her in that sense. So I feel like. I don't know. I mean, we exchange notes sometimes, but she tells me we pretty much are on the same page with regards to this. Like sometimes you just, sometimes I don't even read. Like you, you tend to scroll through sometimes whatever comments you get. Um, but if I, and sometimes I laugh it off. Sometimes I'm just like, I can't be bothered to read the comments. Um, I think it's it's just about like mentally reminding yourself, like, why are you there? You know, you're there to do your job. And everything else is secondary. You kind of have mm. to pep talk, give the pep talks to yourself, <laughs> uh, you know, to 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 keep your focus. Um, because if you, I feel like if you're not, especially in our part of the world, you know, when you're talking about the Asia or when you're talking about the Asian, you know, subcontinent, I feel like uh, you have to develop a, th- a thick skin. You know, people are not uh, uh, forgiving here at all. I guess it's, it, it works everywhere, but like here, uh, you're talking about a much bigger industry so to speak, the media industry and just uh, generally people with, with any level of exposure. So you you have to be like that. Otherwise, it just gets difficult to, to survive. How do you still connect with your enjoyment of the sport? Like I know that for, for all of us, the reason we got into this in the first place was just loving watching cricket, thinking about it, talking about it, and then finding ways to keep doing more of that. Um, do you still have that? joy for it or are there are there days when it's it's just work and just something you have to get through um i you know i i feel like I, the kind of at least speaking from my own perspective like the kind of personality i have if i get bored of something i won't be doing it you know i sure. i was before this i was doing a corporate job uh which was like a nine to five in england um and i just decided that this is something i really don't want to do i mean i would rather do nothing but do this so um so for me my passion drives me and i feel like with me because because i'm doing so many different kinds of things it's not necessarily monotonous um like i do you know of course there's a digital platform there's a television platform then there's private stuff like you know private hosting um so it it it's all very different and it's all i feel it's it's a different challenge not everything is the same so i i can tell you the day i feel bored i will do something else. That, that much I know. Well, Zainab, let's hope that's not for a long, long time yet because uh, your presence is wonderful. Uh, it's great to have you um, as part of our kind of uh, our little world as well and seeing your career explode over the last few years has been wonderful. It's a real shame, though, we won't have you here over the next few weeks with England playing Pakistan because I'm sure you would have um, loved the series being here in, in the box yet again. But I'm hopeful that um, it won't be too long before we uh, see you again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was planning on coming uh, uh, to England for the series. <laughs> Obviously, it didn't go as 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 planned. Um, but yeah, such are the conditions, such are the times that we are living in. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. I mean, I really enjoyed uh, speaking to you guys. Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Thank you to Zainab Abbas for joining us from Pakistan where she'll be watching on those test matches in rapt fascination. I've got a little nugget. If you've made it to this deep into the show, um, Zainab, uh, in, uh, when she came to our place for Christmas in 2016, she engaged in the, the, the festivities uh, of the night, mm. which included, I think, uh, on that particular occasion, me giving all of my Hawthorne jumpers and old cricket kids 
kit and so forth around the party. And she put on for the whole night. Adam old, knows how to party, people. This I, is, I this sure is, do. It gets I sure wild. Do. I've got an old Chris Mew jumper, uh, which she wore for the night and around the house and, and my um, my club cap from the Endeavour Hills Cricket Club. So there's a fantastic photo, which she loves, <laughs> which I might pop up during the week, uh, which she's given me permission to do in the past. I'm sure she'll be fine with it now. Then again, when she last gave me permission to post that photo, she wasn't a massive celebrity, uh, I guess, in the cricket world. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see. But in any case, it is in my Twitter feed somewhere from a couple of years ago. Uh, she's a ripper. Mm. I'm glad she came and talked to us. I'm sad she's not going to be here over the next few weeks, but I'm pleased we finally got her on the final word. That Boxing Day test was definitely the worst shape I've ever attended a cricket match in, I've <laughs> got to say. Um, Adam's old place was about two minutes from the MCG, so there was always that that false sense of security that you're like, well, you can have a late one because, you know, it's just around the corner. Like, you, you know, you stroll down there in a couple of minutes the next day. Um, yeah, that Well, that we did, didn't we? We, we? we did get there by first ball. I reckon we got to the first oh, yeah. ball of that day. We, we went to bed at six. Got to the game at, you know, 2 to 11 as the ball. Might have even got there for the toss, if I recall correctly. But I do seem to... My defining memory of the day was you and I both realising we needed to get out of the press box and we went and watched Nathan Lyon bowl um, with the... Remember the bold Gary? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, nice uh, Gary. Nice the, the, Gary thing. The entire crab admits to do on his second ball, which of course was the delivery where he picked up his first wicket of the match. So that kind of was a mooted nice Gary. But <laughs> nice memories from a simpler time, Jeff. Nice, scary memories. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks for the memories. Uh, if you want to join in Final Word festivities on Patreon, you just go to patreon.com slash thefinalword. You spell that P-A-T-R-E-O-N for some reason. And uh, then, then you can send us a number and we'll get to it on the show as we work our way through. Thanks to Bad Producer Productions, who gets the show out every week. DC, Astrid, J, you are wonderful. Uh, thanks to Zainab. Thanks to everybody for listening and uh, supporting and everybody who leaves a rating and a review on their podcast apps. That helps a lot as well. And uh, thanks to Adam for doing this with me week in, week out uh, as we move on into our cricketing futures together. It's a pleasure. Bye, everyone. This has been The Final Word. See you next time. I had to go about it.